off of, if you will, Bill's message from last week, um, it really, really, really got me to thinking about a lot of things. And I'm probably going to go into a little bit more detail on, on some things or, or, you know, it's my message, but it's kind of based off of his message. But, you know, I loved the, the title of his message. The title of his message was Trust That Dreams Are Made Of. And my message today is called Waiting With a Purpose, and you'll see how these things tie in together. But he talked about how core beliefs become a steering current for our life. That our relationship with God is a faith-based life and how we respond to the unseen things that are going on around us. That we should be able to see the faith in our life, to see the areas where reality versus faith bump up against one another. That's something we should actually be able to see in our own life. When, that we can see that we're stepping out in faith or we're trusting God in faith. And that faith will be the mark of our life. And that, that our life will be characterized by the faith that we have. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Abraham. Actually, I'm going to talk a lot about Abraham. And Abraham's life of faith in a little bit more detail than what, what Bill talked about. I'm going to go over the, the promises that God made to him and uh, kind of the timeline. Because for me, this, this just kind of helps me to kind of organize things. I think a little bit differently. As Bill would say, I'm very linear in my thinking and, uh, and so it just helps me to understand things. But in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, um, and this is probably out of the New Living Translation, this is the call and the first promise uh, from God to Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your family, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. And it says, so Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. And at that time, Abram was 75 years old. Lot was his nephew, it was his brother's son, and I believe his brother had passed away. And so, uh, so Lot traveled with, uh, with Abram. So that was the first call and the first promise that God says, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave everything that is familiar to you and come. I've got something better. I've got a, I've got a land for you. I will prosper you. I will bless you. And I will make you into a great nation. All right, so that was Genesis 1 through 4. Then in Genesis 12, 7... The Lord appeared to Abram again and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated, to, dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. So God was, you know, I don't ha have any idea how much time passed between verses 4 and verses 7. But God met with Abram again and, uh, and just kind of confirmed, you know, this, this part was about the land and to his descendants. And I think as we know at that time, Abraham had no descendants other than Lot, his nephew. I mean, he's part of his family. That would be considered a, a descendant. And, and, but between verses, right, that was verse 7. And then between verses 8 and 10 in Genesis, we see where Abraham moved three times. He moved to Bethel and Ai. He moved actually to in between these two cities, Bethel and Ai, and it's spelled A-I. Then they moved to the Negev and then to Egypt because of the famine. 
So it seemed like in a very short period of time, you know, he did a lot of moving. You will see that in his life. It, he had a very nomadic life, as most people did back then. Um, so in, and then in verse 20, he leaves Egypt. He goes back to Negev. And by this time, he's become very wealthy. He has increased in his livestock and silver and gold and in the number of servants that he had. So it seems like everywhere, God is already beginning to prosper him. God is blessing him with, uh, with, with an increase uh, in livestock and, and uh, servants and, and in possessions. And, and I'm assuming that as Lot travels with him, part Lot is also prospering with him. So they kind of get bigger and bigger. And, um, and, and then in chapter 13, verse 3, it says, He departs the Negev, and he went from place to place and landed back in Bethel the place he'd lived before moving to Egypt. So, again, lots of moving. All during his traveling and moving, Abram's lot had been traveling with him and Sarai. They decided that between the two families, they'd grown so big that where they were, they just, the land could not hold both of them. So he told Lot, he said, look, we need to, to kind of separate our families. There's just too much. You look to the east and the west, and you decide where you want to go. And if you want to go east, I'll go west. If you want to go west, I'll go east. So Lot decides where he wants to go, and he and his family go off. They go off to the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know a little bit about that story, but we're not going to really touch on that today. So Lot moves to, the, to Jordan, and Abraham moves to Canaan so that there is enough land for them to, to have all of their families and their livestock and that kind of thing. So, um, I don't know if she's going to need the nursery or not. She's got a little one. Um, anyway, sorry. See, I couldn't do that on Facebook Live. <laughs> I think I like the freedom here. So, all right. Um, so, they moved. And it's obvious that they, like I said, they were very nomadic. Uh, all this moving around and traveling takes time. I mean, just think about it. What it takes to, to, to gather up all your sheep and all your goat and whatever else they have and all your kids and all your tents and all your possessions. I mean, you know what a pain it is just to pick up and move from one place to another here, all right? And you probably have a couple of cats and dogs. You don't have all the other livestock that you got to carry. And you're not doing it by foot, you know? You're, you're, you've got vehicles and things that will make the, the, the moving a little bit easier. But not so with them. That was their way of life. I mean, you know, I wouldn't want to go back to that way of life, but that's all they knew, and, and that's how they did things. And so all that moving around takes time. And um, it's not easy to pull up all those tents and gather up everything. It's quite an endeavor. A lot of work goes into that. In chapter 13, verses 14 through 18, God speaks to Abram once again. This is the second time that he says, After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Look as far as you can see. Look at the land. As far as you can see to you and your descendants, I will give to you as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go, walk through the land in every direction for I am giving it to you. That's, that's a huge, huge promise, a huge proclamation. And so Abraham moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. And there he built another altar to the Lord. So he went, he went out and he looked and he saw that all God had for him. I don't know about you, but I'm sure he was overwhelmed by the blessing of God. So it looks as though Abraham moved about eight times in a 10-year period. 
I mean, that's a lot just for you and I to move. Imagine, like I said, taking all their stuff and having to move all of that. Then in chapter 15, God speaks to Abraham again. And he says, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, sovereign Lord, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, uh, so one of my servants will be my heir. So this is the first time Abraham kind of brings up the fact that he doesn't have any children. And, uh, and the Lord replies to him, and he says, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. So that's kind of the first time. This is like his third encounter with God, and this is the first time that God is really telling him, you're going to have an, an heir. It's going to come from you. It's not going to be one of, it's not going to be Lot. It's going to be you, and it's not going to be one of your servants. It's going to be you, you and your wife. Then the Lord took Abram outside, and he said, look up to the sky. It must have been nighttime. And count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. It takes a lot of faith. He hadn't really, I mean, he'd, he'd already seen God at work, though, in the way that he had been prospered, you know, with his, his cattle and, and, and the increase that he and his, his nephew both had had. So he'd seen how God had done that. And, but this was the first time he'd heard this promise. And so the Lord made a covenant with Abraham that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. So Abraham has had three encounters with God and each one with the promise that God was going to bless him, that he would prosper him, not only with his possessions, but also with land. And the last encounter, God promises uh, an heir. So it seems that with each encounter with God, God kind of made more clarification, if you will, and kind of added on to the promise to him uh, about what he was going to do and provide for Abraham. So this has been going on for several years now. You know, I mean, for probably for 10 years, 15 years, they've been traveling, they've been doing these things, they've seen kings and stayed with kings, and you know the story of Abraham and Sarah and how he kind of told the kings that, the, you know, that Sarah was his sister, and technically she was. She was like his half-sister or something like that, his father's daughter by a different mother type thing. You know, back then that they did those kinds of things. Sometimes in our people do that here too. But anyway, so he wasn't a really lying, lying, but he was being deceptive to try and protect himself, uh, I guess, against the king because the, I guess Sarah, even, even in her old age, and and I was going to kind of dispute the fact that Abraham and Sarah were old because, I mean, people were living hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in the Old Testament. After the flood, people were, people were living, you know, 500 years. However, as I was going to dispute that, I did come across the passage that said that they were old. That even in Scripture, it said that they, in their old age, that Sarah was going to bear a child. And that Abraham was, you know, like 99 when they had a child. So they were old. And so I'm just going to say, I hope at 75 I'm smoking hot like Sarah was. But I doubt it. Anyway, just saying, just saying. So there we go. We've got God uh, is, uh, is blessing them and encouraging them and telling them you will have an heir. 
But, but Sarah gets a little discouraged. Actually, she gets a lot discouraged, and she takes things into her own hands. Have any of us ever done that? Have any of us, you know, taken things into our own hands, and later, man, it was just a huge mistake? Can I have an amen? Thank you. Okay, that's everybody. My, all right, so, so we're a lot like Sarah, you know, uh, or Sarah's a lot like us. Uh, which is called human nature. And that's what God's trying to develop in us is his nature, his Christ-like nature. Uh, and, and like I said, the title of my, my message is Waiting with a Purpose. And I guess that Sarah was tired of waiting. God had, had now promised an heir, but she still had not become pregnant. So the next best thing was to take one of her servants and give it to Abraham. That was as close as they were going to get to having a child of their own. It may not be her child, but it would be Abraham's child, and it would be a descendant. I mean, it makes perfect sense to Sarah. Abraham did not dispute that, and, and so that's what they did. And so, so Hagar, you know, has a, has a child named Ishmael. So as we look back over here, it's been 20 long, hard years, difficult yet prosperous years for Abram and Sarah. Abram's had three encounters with God, during that time period. So on average, if you looked at it, he had about an encounter with God like that about once every six and a half years. I don't know if that's a lot or if that's a little. If we, if we look at our encounters with God like that, pretty miraculous encounters with God, um, I can look back on my life. I've been a Christian for a lot, like 40-something years. I, got, I became to know the Lord when I was 13, and I'm 61, so for a long time. So I count, you know, the first time I got saved was an encounter. And then, and over the course of my life, it was 24 years before I, I had what I called another born-again experience. And I don't mean that meaning I came to know the Lord again, but I mean that my, my spiritual life took, had it, what was going on in my spiritual life was just as impactful as, as it was when, when I came to know the Lord. And I've had two or three other times since then that have been very uh, transformational for me. And so the same thing was happening with them was they were, you know, Abraham was having these encounters with God, but um, they were still not seeing the fulfillment of everything that God had promised. So um, in Abraham's life, you know, he, he became known in, in the region. I mean, you could not miss him with, with all that he had and all that God had prospered him and to have encounters with more than one king, but several kings and to be wel welcomed into their palace Abraham was making a name for himself. So about four years after uh, Ishmael is born, the Lord comes to Abram once again. Now he's 99 years old, Abram is. And God reconfirms once again his cover covenant with Abram. And at this time, he changes his name from Abram to Abraham. And he changes Sarai's name to Sarah. There is a name change. God is getting ready to do something different. And he specifically tells Abraham that Sarah will have a son. And not only will she have a son, but she's going to name him Isaac. And of course, Sarah heard this. She was in the tent, and Abraham was talking with the Lord. The Lord came in the form of three visitors. And, and uh, they were hosting them in their home. You'd have to, you'll have to look this up in the scripture yourself. And, and, and the Lord said to him that, you know, that you're going to have a son. A year from now, when I come back, Sarah will have a baby in her arms. 
And Sarah heard it and she laughed. And then she denied that she laughed because don't we all do that? We deny, you know, whatever. And, uh, but anyway, and, and then also the Lord establishes with him the covenant of circumcision. And sure enough, at the appointed time, Sarah gets pregnant and has a baby boy and names him Isaac. So we've got this whole timeline of Abraham and his encounters with God over a course of about 25 years. So what does that mean for you and I? How does Abraham's life and Sarah's life, you know, how does, how does that affect us? Well, what we see is that Abraham is a wonderful example of the trust that dreams are built of, the trust that dreams are made of. That's the kind of life that he lived. He had the trust. He trusted God. He went where God told him to go. He left his family, and he went someplace he'd never been before. And, and God blessed him for that. And he received portions of that promise throughout the years. God would give him the land, the increase in the property, the name recognition and respect in the land. And then God declared to Abraham uh, more than once so that Abraham would not be discouraged. Even though it took a long time, God encountered him several times throughout the course of this. And also, he wanted an heir. Uh, let me see. Let me read minutes here. Oh, also, as I think I said before, that an heir was not originally promised to him in that very first encounter, but it was all part of God's original plan. And sometimes God doesn't reveal everything to us in one setting. It comes in bits and pieces, and we have to kind of fit it together over time. And that's, I think, what was happening in his life. But it was definitely implied because God would say, and to your descendants. And it wasn't until Abraham had said, God, I, I don't even have a, I don't have a son. I don't have an, an heir. And he said, but you will. So even after Abraham and Sarah attempted to help God to fulfill his promise, God remained faithful to his word and gave them their son, Isaac, to fulfill that promise. Another person in Scripture who has a life of promise and a long period of waiting in their life is David. David is another example of being faithful to God and God being faithful to David. You know, he was anointed as a young boy. And I, I, I don't know how young he was, but I would say maybe 12. I don't know. Uh, he was a shepherd out tending the flock when the prophet Samuel uh, anointed him and said that he would be king one day. And it took 40 years from the time that Samuel anointed him and said that you will be king before that was fulfilled in David's life. And David served God faithfully by serving the king that was established that had been put there by God before him, King Saul, by serving faithfully under Saul. And even though Saul became jealous of David and tried to kill him on more than one occasion, David not once ever flaunted before Saul or his family or anyone what God had said to him that he would be king. He never once said, but I'm going to be king someday, Saul, so, you know, I don't want to hear it from you, you know, or, or anything like that, or, or flaunting it to even his family, to his, you know, he's, he's the youngest of, I don't know, six boys, and he never once flaunted it before his family or his brothers and said, I'm going to be king someday, so you need to watch what you say because I got a long memory. Uh, but he never did that. He never did that. And then you, you never see David question God, when's this going to happen? 
when is this going to happen, Lord? I mean, is it ever going to happen? Are you sure? Is it, I kind of remember this. I was so young. D- did you really mean that I was going to be king someday? And even after Saul's death, David continued to, re- to honor and to refer to Saul as the Lord's anointed and showed him respect, even though Saul had tried to kill him. So David was a man of integrity. Um, but, you know, David had his flaws too, which we're not going to go into, but you can read the scripture and see those because you know why? They're human, just like us. They are human, and they have their flaws. But David waited a long time. And unlike Abraham, who had several encounters with God throughout his 25 years, um, David didn't seem to have more than just that one experience. Now, we read the Psalms, and we know that, that David was very close to God, and it seemed like God was very close to David. But we don't read of, a, of another encounter, or we don't read of another prophet coming to him and reconfirming what God has already said. We don't see that. We see the one time where that took place. So he let God be God, and he trusted God completely in God's timing for him and when it was going to be best for him to step onto the throne. He didn't try to accelerate it or change it or anything like that. He just, he just did what he was supposed to do, which was to serve his king and to be faithful to God. So David is another example of the trust that dreams are made of. Like Abraham, he lived a faith-based life. His life illustrated how his core beliefs were a steering current in his life. Both him and Abraham had these core beliefs. They had this faith, and it's what kept them on the, I'm going to say the straight and narrow, that kept them uh, doing the things that they were supposed to be doing until God wanted to come in and bestow upon them the blessing and the fulfillment of the promise he had given them. So faith in the unseen, long-awaited promises of God was manifested in his life. You know, last week, Bill had mentioned that we were having a leaders meeting and that we were going to have a State of the Union address. If you were here, I think that's what he said. And he reminded the church, as well as those of us in the leaders meeting afterwards, that God has been faithful to keep us afloat for years, literally. We have come this close to closing our doors, you know, on any given month. And we kind of live that way today. And, and, and as he said, God said, look, you're still here. Just trust me. Trust me. If I don't want you to be here, you're going to know. But God has continued to provide. And I speak this over you which is why I'm glad we're not doing Facebook Live because, you know, this is family. Um, I'm not sure who out there would be listening, you know. But, but God is faithful to us here. God has given us a word. And, uh, he, and he shared that. Um, he said that uh, he shared the prophetic word that was given to our church probably, I'm trying to think, it's been over five years ago, probably closer to six or seven years ago, by a gentleman who visited our church who was from the Houston, I mean, from the Columbus Vineyard, but he was here on business. And I asked Bill, I said, give me, tell me what the words were. I want to I reshare them. And so the first time these words were, were shared in our church, it was on a Sunday morning. It says, God is going to use this church. You will influence and bless all of Brazoria County. And if you're not careful, the entire state of Texas. 
Those are big words. I mean, you're talking to Abraham and Sarah who are 99 years old and don't have any children. Really. You look around this room, who are we? You know? I mean, we are the people of God. That's who we are. We are the people of God. And we don't despise small things because God doesn't despise small things. And if God has said that he's got a plan and a purpose for your life, or David's life, or Abram's life, or Isaac's life, or my life, or the life of this church, then we trust that God has something for us. And I think that that was really important. I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that. I am one of, I am Sarah, and wondering, should we just close the doors? I mean, we're paying a lot of money every month to keep this building open and run. You know, we're not, we're big enough to be a large home group, basically, is what we are. And, and, and I'm not the only one. There's been several of us that have kind of tossed this idea around. But you know, Bill has been faithful. Bill has reminded us of the call that God has put on this church. And, and, and it's, Bill is not one that, um, well, Melinda calls him her Tortuga. And, and that's because turtles are slow. I mean, they dated four years before he finally, you know, uh, asked him to marry her. And then within three months, they were married. So Bill, is he hears from God, and I trust in him. And I needed that encouragement. And I hope that you are encouraged. I want you to be encouraged as well. God has a plan. God has a purpose and if God wants to close us and, and make us into a small home group and meet someplace else, he has the freedom to do that. But if God wants us to stay here, then he has the freedom and the ability to keep us here. And um, so a couple of weeks ago, and you've heard this story too because Bill alluded to this, there were some people who were buying some furniture from the Hunts. They were going to go see this guy up in Dallas called Robbie Dawkins. Some of us here know who that person is. Some of us don't. He is, a, he is an awesome man of God who has a healing ministry, and he literally travels the world teaching others. And he's associated with the vineyard. We, many of us have gone to hear him speak. We've read his books. We've seen him at conferences. Uh, we know who he is. He knows who we are. He knows who Bill is. And, um, and so at, Bill and them wanted to pray for this couple, and they did. Then the couple prayed for our church. And they prayed almost apparently the exact same thing that had been prayed over our church several years ago. And Bill says that, when, that it was him and Jeff and Kim, they were standing there, and they all just looked at one another in the middle of this prayer, and it gave them goosebumps. This is God's confirmation. He has not forgotten us. Lest we think we have been forgotten, we have not. We may not know, understand, see, perceive what our purpose is here, but we continue on until God says otherwise. And this prayer is for all of us here today. Each one of us, God is encouraging us not to look at the size of our bank account, the attendance, or the size of our worship team, all of these variables may fluctuate, but God does not. 
His plans are not thwarted by circumstance, time, or money. His purpose is not only for this church, but for you and I. It will prevail. He is reminding us, not just this church, but as individuals, what we need to do. That we need to allow God to breathe life into everything that seems to have become, mon become mundane. Our daily life, our job, our home life, our relationships, all these things that may just be mundane. God wants to breathe life into the mundane because it is in the mundane, the day-to-day -day things. We live our life out in the community and represent who Jesus is. We continue to put left foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, one in front of the other. We continue on in our walk with God every day. We continue to be faithful in the small things, in the day-to-day -day life, reminding and encouraging others what is to come. Be aware that you, the church, have stepped into a place of divine destiny. You may not know it, but you need to know it. And for those who aren't here today to hear this message, we need to remind them as well. So let's go back to the title of my message, Waiting with a Purpose. It's not easy. We have a purpose, but we don't see it necessarily. So we wait, and we wait with a purpose. We may become impatient. We may think that God has forgotten us, just like Sarah, and we may take things into our own hands and cause a mess. And even if we do that, God, I believe, will still be faithful to us. We need to remember that just because we don't see with our own eyes things happening to move in the direction that God says that he wants to move us, it doesn't mean that God's forgotten his purpose and his plans for us. I want you all to stand. Come on up, David.